my name's Colby, and I serve as teaching elder here. Uh, we had a great day at the Awana Fun Day. And um, so it's interesting where you get into VBS stuff, where you remember VBS when you were a kid, and you kind of like want your kids to have that experience. And um, there's things that I just became aware of as we went through another summer here is apparently fireworks are not a, as big a deal here in Colorado as they are in Oklahoma. I guess because you're afraid you'll burn down the whole state, right? But in Oklahoma, we are about that life, all right? And so it's been a weird kind of series of events because uh, I used to wear, like, uh, Coke bottle glasses because as a kid, I threw a bunch of fireworks into a burning fire and then, like Moses with the burning bush, looked intently into the fire. And apparently, it created, like, damage on the surface of my eyes and I had to get, uh, like, really... In the military, I think they call those glasses birth control. Um, they're just really thick glasses that are... And those are cool now, by the way. Uh, they're not cool when I was a kid, all right? And so I had to have them. And I have come full circle, and uh, I realize my kids are not doing fireworks, which means I hope their eyesight would be better. And come to find out, it may just be genetic, because my youngest, if you saw him up here, that's my youngest kid, now has these glasses, and mine never made me that cute. Like, never. Uh, that's, that's like top show. I'm, I'm treating him worse because I feel like people like him too much. Based off those, he's very Stuart little. And people asked us, how did you find out that he needed glasses? And I said, well, we do this thing where we take him to his well child checks that you're supposed to do, parents. And I'm married to a nurse, so we do that thing. And not only does he have to have glasses, but he actually has to have, wear an eye patch, which unless you're a pirate is not the coolest thing, uh, and so, to kind of correct his vision. When you go into the eye doctor, it's really fascinating. You've probably never been, but here's an idea. You go in, and they put you in front of that machine that drops down in front of you. Right? Anybody done this? And they, they put something out there in white with black letters, and they say, is one better or two? Has anybody felt so much pressure that you're going to fail that test? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they do one and then two, A or B, and you sit there for a minute, it's like, I know one of these is the wrong answer. But they both look bad, right? One or two, is this better or is that better? And they click it. And it's just, it, for me, it's really stressful. And then um, you, you, you get your eyes dilated so that they can examine if there's any kind of like shrapnel in your pupil, I guess. And, and then you get to leave with your Stevie Wonder glasses and you're not supposed to drive, but I definitely do. All right. And so you, you leave that. And I would say this, as important as checking on the physical health of our eyes is, because I don't know if you had a grandmama like I got a grandmama. My grandmama told me, you only get one set of eyeballs, son, so take care of them, right? Quit throwing things in fire and blowing it up in your face, all right? You only get one set. As important as checking on the health of our physical eyeballs is or are, is that our spiritual eyesight goes out of tune much quicker. And a part of what we try to do here is we have a pattern of behavior where we gather every week as a family is that we just check our eyesight. And I don't know about you, when I come to church, I go, I, I realize that throughout the week, intentionally or not, 
my vision of God just goes out of focus. And every day as I get into the word, I start to realize I'm going out of focus with God in my quiet time. When I go to house church, I begin to realize as I'm around other believers who are seeing God, I start to realize that my eyesight spiritually is just going out of focus. And I start to come to church and I hear the worship of God. I hear his excellencies. I hear his word preached. And I just realize that my spiritual eyesight goes out of focus much quicker. My spiritual goes much quicker than my physical. And even as a Christian born again who has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, I want to warn us, as Jesus warns us today from the passage, that we can lose some of our eyesight as we have cataracts that will slowly start to move us back towards blindness. And I think that the this, last week, this week, and actually the following week, is Mark actually stringing with connective tissue in the text a topic of blindness. And I want to talk about blindness. It's a, it's a spiritual malady shared by the whole human race. We are born spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, In their case, speaking of unbelievers, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You have an enemy who is actively attempting to blind you with sin cataracts that would obscure your vision of God, who you are, and what you're supposed to be about with your life. And so if any one of us is going to be born again in spiritual sea with clear clarity, or if any Christian in here is going to walk with him for 40 years and not pick up a bunch of rocks on the surface of your eyeball, it's going to be a work of grace. Amen? So, let's pray and ask God to open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold Him in His glories, in His truth, and that we might walk away from here with a little something. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. Because without you, not any one of us here would have seen your beautiful attributes throughout creation. Without you, we would not have seen the seriousness of our sin, nor seen the seriousness at which you undertook to forgive our sins. And so thank you for illumining the eyes of my brothers and sisters here that we might behold the gospel. God, if there's one here that is blinded by their sin, do the surgery. God, if there's some of us that our visions become clouded about following Jesus, would you just, um, would you clear it up? God, um, this is your word, and I can't rightly teach it or preach it without your help. And my brothers and sisters can't rightly hear it and understand it and see it without your help. And so if anybody's getting anything today, it's all going to be because of your glory and what you're here doing. And so we invite that, we beg that, we plead for that. Um, God, we pray that your word would be crystal clear. Um, 
that we might know you, we might love you, we might serve you, and um, we might be changed by you. So this is your time. This is your space. Um, Open eyes. um, Help us to see. Rebuke us if necessary. Whatever it takes, God, um, our lives are in your hands. We surrender in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Last week, 11 through 13, I talked about the absolute blindness of the Pharisees. The absolute blindness of the Pharisees. And um, I, we kind of talked about how they sought a sign, and which ironic. They want to see something, and yet they're blind. And we said this, without God's help, all the neon signs of Vegas could be provided to someone but they would accomplish nothing for you if you don't have the light-detecting ability of eyesight in your skull. So we said this, vision requires the light of the world. Vision requires the light of the world. And we're going to get maybe more into what um, particularly blinded not only the Pharisees, but what can come on the disciples. But I would say this, is that the greatest enemy of your learning is not your ignorance. It's the illusion of what you think you already know. The greatest enemy of your learning is not your ignorance. It's the illusion of what you think you already know. So, we can get in our own way to understanding what God wants us to do. Good disciples are like John the Baptist. They clear the way, they declare the way, and then they get the mess out of the way. The Pharisees block the way, question the way, and then they get in the way. And so they are, if we're talking about where they stand, spiritually blind. And where we're going to get into the disciples is, is that they have sight, yet they don't see. The word yet, that's going to be in our passage today... It's going to speak that God has enabled them sight that they don't employ. And so they've forgotten some things. So let's look at it and and, um, kind of talk about how that's different. And then um, next week, I plan to do this today, but it's just not going to work. Next week, we're going to talk about the two-stage healing that Jesus is going to do with a blind man in the next passage. And there's there's a complete reason for that, which is these two reasons that we did last week and then this week. All right, verse 14. Now they, speaking of the disciples had forgotten, you might underline that, they had forgotten bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. So it's a bunch of dudes and one leftover breadstick at Olive Garden and everybody judging everybody to see who's going to eat it. All right? And he cautioned them saying, so the context is they had forgotten something and that's kind of the context of this. And he cautioned them, cautioned. Jesus cautions disciples there's a couple words here he said to them watch out that's a warning beware that's a warning look at those three words of what jesus just did for his disciples and i promise you this is exactly what is going on in your life caution beware watch out of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread 
It's like apparently they've been on this boat too long with each other. You know what I mean? Like this road trip with Jesus start to wearing everybody thin, and they begin arguing, discussing, just like the Pharisees in the passage before, the fact that they got no bread. I could see them right now, like Peter being like, I think Judas forgot the bread. He got the money. Where Ju- Judas, did you forget the picnic? Right? Thomas is like, I doubt it. All right, and so, like, um, and the fact they had no bread. 17, Jesus, aware of this, right? I love that. Said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not, this is where I'm going to argue they have sight, but they're not using it, yet perceive. He intends for them by faith to have a form of sight, but they are not employing it. Perceive or understand. Are your hearts hardened. This is how the Bible is going to describe when somebody can't get it, they have been hardened by sin or unbelief or doubt. Having eyes. So he's assuming they have eyes. Do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? This is an indictment of Jesus, is it not? So here's the thing. A warning is what Jesus is giving in this thing. And um, how substantial or serious we take the warning of somebody depends on the credibility and the respect by which we give the person given the warning. Like if my youngest kid comes in and says the house is on fire, I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's good. That's awesome. If my wife does it, Right? I grab the little kid and we run. The credibility of the person giving me the warning should change the amount of attention that I give to that person. And Jesus is saying, here's the thing. If you respect me, you should pump the brakes whenever I give you a warning about what I'm about to warn you about. I should, you should turn your head. You should be aware. You should have caution. You should act you should act differently. And if, and if we don't, it means we do not esteem Jesus very high. Because we just think we can get away with it. We can be the exception to the rule. It won't affect us like it affects, I don't know, everybody else that Jesus says it affects. So it says something about our respect to him based on the, how we respond to his warning. Now, the the context of this, of why they don't get it, is kind of twofold. One is Jesus is warning them, but he's warning them with like a Jeopardy level enigma or riddle. Using leaven, he's kind of taking a teaching illustration about leaven and bread, and he's making the warning with with a bit of a a question, right? Like about what is this leaven and what do you mean by that? That kind of stuff. That's one thing. The other thing is that there's a context here that they had forgotten bread. They had forgotten to do something. And so this teaching illustration is so close to real life that they miss the spiritual forest for the physical trees. And here's how I would say it. What they forgot is causing them to miss what they need. And and maybe here's the thing just... This gets into things that happen all the time with the Bible. They're taking the Bible literally, or maybe they're taking Jesus' teaching literally, when he's clearly using a figure of speech. Amen? And we get into this. Like, people will say, do you take the Bible literally? And I say, 
where the Bible is being literal, I want to take it literal. Where it is being metaphorical, which I think is very clear, I want to take it metaphorically. And if there's any other pieces, poetry and other parts of speech that God uses and employs to communicate his word, I want to take it the way that God intends me to take it. I don't think the question is really about whether we take God's word literally, because we're using that wrong word wrongly. I think it's the question of, do you take the Bible seriously? Because here, they're missing the point because they're taking him literally. And I think the worst indictment is that they're not taking God seriously. Um, this is a terrible illustration, and some of you are not going to get it, and I'm apologizing in advance. So there's this movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe called Guardians of the Galaxy. Does anybody know what this movie is? Raise your hand so I know who, good, I know who to pray for now because you guys are <clears throat> watching the yeast of the Pharisees. Um, so there's a movie called Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's terrible. Don't watch it. It's whatever. All right. So they have a team of people that are being assembled together, and there's this guy named Drax who is like the muscle of the team, right? I think he was in WWE before. It's WWE, right? It's not WWF. All right, so he was, he's a monster of a human being, like just a big guy. And in his character, uh, he comes in, and his people take everything literally. Right? Y'all remember this? Have you seen the movie? He takes everything literally. The team begins to argue because there's things that they're trying to discuss, and they're saying this guy can't understand metaphor. His people don't use metaphors. It's like he takes everything literally. If you say something to him, it, it, he won't get it. It will go over his head. And Drax says, no, it will not. I have lightning-fast reflexes. I will catch it. Go over your head. And then the girl responds, I'm going to die amongst a bunch of idiots in the galaxy. Right? And so here's, what, here's what's happening is they're, they're taking something literally from Jesus that they should understand in the abstract, but they just, like, they don't get it. And, and maybe here's... A bigger reason why they're not is that they're already arguing. They're discussing, they're debating, but they're definitely not listening. I can imagine in this situation, having forgot something that the blame shifting is going on. I got the last picnic, it was your turn to get the picnic. I know you guys never argue about whose turn it is to do the dishes at your house, right? Right? And so they're on this boat and they're blame shifting. I mean, that only goes back to what, you know, uh, the Garden of Eden. Let me put it to you like this. And if you've been in church for a minute, this should resonate with you. They are so focused on each other's faults that they're not paying attention to Jesus. They're so focused on each other's faults that they're not paying attention to Jesus. And so it's hard to get the nuance of what he's saying because we're really not listening anyways. Um, I kind of think of this, uh, they're like kids in the backseat of the car that are bickering over who did what, who didn't do what they were supposed to do, what did mom really say, mom said, you said. They're in the back of the seat bickering and, and mom, you ever have one of these moms? I will pull this car over, right? 
Now, if your mom loves to get to A to B in any sort of timely fashion, if that car gets pulled over, it's just genocide, all right? Like, because if she's going to be late for something, you're going to get the wrath, right? And mom's in the front seat trying to communicate something, and she's just, are you even listening to me back there? And they're just chirping, right? Anybody ever suffered the wrath of a parent trying to spank you from the front seat with the windshield wiper arm? Go, I will get back there, right? You're just in the back seat, like, trying to dodge an arm coming at you like this. Where, just trying to slow your roll because you're not listening to the authority figure. You're fighting with your sibling. What is Jesus' reaction here? What is his posture when he's trying to teach his boys and they're not listening? What kind of frustration? We talked about how the Pharisees caused him to deep sigh. What kind of frustration do disciples who have been given the ability to see but refuse to use that spiritual eyesight to see the world as it truly is? What kind of angst does that put in God's heart? I didn't know how to describe it very well, so I'm going to do this one time, and if it doesn't work, I'm never doing it again. But I, I wanted to show you by some memes that I think will describe the heart of Jesus. For you who don't know, the young people want me to explain to you what a meme is. A meme is a picture from a movie or an idea that someone said something, but they change it to say something funny uh, in the stuff. So you got one, the first one. I'll give you a couple of runway memes, and then I'm going to bring it in to describe our situation. This is from the Matrix. And this is actually me just telling some of y'all uh, right now. What if I told you you do not need to reply all? Uh, please, if you're on any of our teams here at the church, this is not a joke. Um, so you take a movie like, I'm not even reading this one because this is not true for me. Um, so you take a, is that Harry and the Hendersons? What, what movie is that? It's good. Pamper my wife after the first day of quarantine. So you just put some text above some image and it takes it to the next level. So um, here, go to the next one. I know fall decor is coming, so I'm going to throw this up there. The spider, after I take down his web and hang up a fake web for Halloween. And I, I love this. Oh, I love this guy. Go to the next one. I just really think that if Jesus is standing next to the disciples, this is kind of him, right? Except he's not a spider. It's good. What about the next one? So Jesus is standing here. The disciples, when Jesus mentions bread. Go to the next one. Jesus hearing his disciples discuss bread. Or, attend, or when Jesus just attends one of our business meetings. Could have been either. It's good. Go to the last one. I think that's the last one. Um, that's not altogether wrong. You know... At one time, Isaac told me, I did one PowerPoint in our revelation. He's like, man, I really appreciate whenever you use visual illustrations. After this, I'm going to get six emails. Never do that again. It's good. All right. Here's the deal. What they, they are so focused on each other's faults that they're not paying attention to Jesus. And how does Jesus stand 
and looked at. He asked a question. He asked the same piercing question to the disciples that he had asked the Pharisees. Why? Why don't you get this? What, a, what about your time with me would cause you not to understand this? Think about the exercise Jesus does at the end of this passage where he comes. He says, do you remember me feeding the 5,000? Now talk back to me. What's awesome in the text, he makes the disciples tell him how much they had left over. Not how many they started with. I want you to tell me how much, when I'm in the house, how much you got left over. Or the feeding of 4,000. Have you ever done this with your kids when you're coaching them? You set them down, it's like, now what did I tell you to do? No, 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 no. It's going to come out your mouth. Right? Some of us, and I, listen, I'm so glad we got so many different generations in here. But some of us have forgotten more times that God has been faithful than we can remember right now. Like if you would have journaled and wrote down the times that God was faithful to you in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, like you would go back to that and it would blow your mind. And whatever you're facing right now, you would say God's more than enough for it. But see, you, for, you, some of us in here have forgotten more than we remember. And so Jesus sets us down and says, come on, tell me. 4,000 people, I fed all of them, and you're worried because we got one breadstick in the boat. For what, 13 of us? And you're, you're stressing out? Give me a break. Some of us have just forgotten more of God's faithfulness than we can remember. We've forgotten more scripture than we can remember. And so we come to some logistical problem and it causes us to misinterpret Jesus. So if, if that's what is happening here, what is Jesus really saying? That's what I want to get at. Okay? What, if, that's, if that's the issue, what is Jesus really saying? And it centers around in his caution, in his beware, in his be careful, have a heads up. It centers on leaven. Leaven. And so unless you are binge watching like baking shows on Food Network or you just grew up a Colorado granola homesteader, you may not do lots of work with leaven, all right? Leaven. But leaven is a decaying substance that when heated releases gases inside of bread and causes bread to rise. Just a little of this substance worked through the loaf will radically alter the whole identity of the substance. I love um, that it's a substance that you only understand is present in dough when you put it in the fire. Because see, a lot of us don't know the false beliefs about God in the scripture that we have adopted in our heart until God sends us through a hell of a time. Because we go through hard times and we will see what you believe about the word of God or don't. Do you know that everything that we talk about here at church, you're tested on in your life? 
And everything that you watch on them, Netflix shows or Guardian of the Galaxy movies or the things that coworkers fling out there, do you know that every belief that is lobbed out there in your heart, that if that comes into your life and you adopt that even in a small degree, adversity will prove it to come out of you. Leaven is a substance that's used in the Bible as a negative symbol. It is that this, even a little bit of, of evil can ruin the whole thing. It may be hidden, but fire brings it out. The Old Testament almost entirely does not allow the children of Israel to put leaven in the sacrifices. Because in the New Testament, it's similar to how uh, it's compared to pride. It puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Like leaven is this stuff, like if you got bread without leaven, you got basically cardboard crackers. It's solid. It's there. It's thin crust pizza. You put leaven inside of it, and now you got those Thanksgiving spring rolls, like it inflates, right? So this is an idea in the negative uh, symbolism of the Bible that if you put a little pride in you, you will be inflated. You will be puffed up, exaggerated. You will think more of yourself than what you actually are. And so the Old Testament uses the picture of this substance to say something about the dangers that stand before your spiritual life. I think, um, I think Jesus even gives us a little bit more of a clue because he says there's two types of leaven to avoid. The first one is the leaven of the Pharisees. The second is the level of the Herodians. Now, if we're coming here, maybe it's important to say what leaven first is not. What leaven is not. Because that's what they miss, right? They think that it's some sort of physical thing that they are to avoid. I don't know if they're like, hey, you can't buy bread from Whole Foods. One, because it costs $8,000. And two, because it's got some sort of sin dust in it, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe they're thinking Jesus is like, we ain't buying and selling from the Herodians. And the, we're cancer culturing them, right? I, like, I don't, I don't know. But here's one thing that we know that it's not. The leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians is not a physical substance that they're slipping into your bread like the disciples thought. It is not, nobody's going to get this, it's not roofies that they're lowering in your bread, or THC, or meth, like your parents warned you about, people slipping drugs in your candy at Halloween. Alright? Did anybody's parents warn them about drugs at Halloween? Nobody, you just on drugs, this is called terrible crowd to ask this. Um, do you realize how many, how many people spun off on drugs would be go trick-or-treating if they found free drugs getting passed out, right? I don't know what the disciples thought. Like, are they putting a little, are they making Colorado brownies, the Pharisees, or <laughs> these magical brown? What kind of dust are the Pharisees putting inside their bread? So here's the thing. It's clearly not the physical substance. Matthew's account actually gives us a better understanding of what Jesus means when he says leaven. He says that the leaven of the Pharisees is their teaching. It's their, this is the same word, doctrine. Do you know that the word doctrine and the word teaching is the same word? Let me get into this. So when we talk about indoctrination, all we're saying is we're putting teachings in somebody. 
Now, we take a negative connotation to indoctrination, but every time you send your kid up to a public school, they're being indoctrinated. Every time you homeschool your kid, they're being indoctrinated. Every time you watch TV, there's a message behind the show, you're being indoctrinated. When you come to church, you're being indoctrinated. Here's the truth. Everything is teaching something. Everybody is being indoctrinated by someone with some agenda, whether it's true or false. The question is not, are we receiving teaching? The question is, is the teaching true? And that's exactly the root that Jesus is getting into. Matthew tells us that the leaven of the Pharisees is their teaching. It's their teaching that if you adopted their way of life, you'd be twice the sons of hell that they are. It's like they are hypocrites. They are, listen to how the Bible describes them, they are blind guides. If you follow them, it will be the blind leading the blind. What is the Pharisees? What is their leaven? I would argue this. Theirs is the dead, godless, lifeless, religious systems that you hypocritically keep that would eventually lead you to deny Jesus, not submit to him. This belief system or this form of teaching produces experts in selective obedience and people who will refuse to repent. Tell me that's not true from their lives. This does not mean this is only for religious people. Non-religious people believe things just as religiously as any religious person. Right? Let let me give you a really quick example. Uh, Tell a vegan that you eat meat. Or tell somebody that with Greenpeace that you don't recycle. Has nothing to do with religion. But it does. Right? And we got our own in here. And I, I listen, I'm not telling you what to do. Tell somebody you're vaccinated or tell somebody you're not vaccinated. You're losing either way. We know why? Because we're religious in our nature. Or we could say, what is the leaven of the Herodians? You know who Herod was? He was a, he was a political leader. Here's what the leaven of the Herodians is. It's politics. Politics that if we adopted with our whole heart and mind would lead us to abandon Jesus for power. It is power-hungry, politically motivated leaders and teachings that are all about influence, face, climbing a ladder, power, position, titles. Jesus says, you are not to exercise authority like the heathens. The greatest among you serve. Here's what the Herodians are. It's an invitation to be worldly. It's an invitation to be just like the world. The warning of Jesus about leaven tells us that even a small belief or a small evil has a permeating power to take over our whole identity. And so here's the thing. Jesus loves you enough to warn you. 
Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You are not going to finish your race well, like our brother Jerry did, without guarding your heart. I mean, this is just so heavy for me. There are so many people who I love who confess Jesus in their 20s or in their teen years that are far from him today. And the reason they are far from him is because they did not pay attention to the leaven. There are people today that I love and I care about that are hardened by sin, that have shipwrecked their faith, that have ruined their lives, and that are living a purposeless existence. And they may be Christians. That's between them and the Lord. And it's because they didn't beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herodians. Are you sleeping on Jesus' warning? Is your vision of who God is and who you are and what you're to be doing, is it blurry? Is it foggy? Is it a mirror dimly? Just as a little yeast puffs you up in a negative sense, I believe this with all of my heart, that if you'll get the word of God just even a little bit in your heart, it will also permeate the whole structure. I'm preaching today that you might believe God at his word and put even a little of the word of God in you and let God just work it through you. Because here's the thing, the fire reveals that too. He can work his word in you and not make you inflated. He can make you solid. Not half seeing, but perceiving, understanding with divine clarity. I want so bad, uh, I look forward so much to next week about the man who went from being blind to seeing people walking as trees that's seeing but not really seeing, to seeing crystal clearly, which is actually going to go indirectly with what the disciples confess about Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's seeing clearly. That's where this passage, I believe, Mark is heading, and that's where I want to go. Can I pray for you? And then we're going we're gonna to take communion as a picture of the gospel. If you bow your heads, maybe close your eyes not because that has any magic about it, but because maybe you just need to focus and there's a way in which your physical eyes would get in the way of spiritually seeing what you need to see in your heart. Have you let a little something in your life that don't belong there? As tasty as it may be, a little gossip a little bit of lying, a little bit of worldliness, a little bit of love of money, a little bit of idolatry, just a little bit of sin. Have you let that in? If that's you, I just want to invite you here to repent and to believe the gospel that he, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And his way and his teaching is better 
than all the leaven that the world has to offer. Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the grave that we might have new life. He did so that he might forgive us of even the cataracts we sometimes pick up along the way. He's the good physician, the great physician. Would you let him check you up again? Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, here, because of the flesh, the devil, and our sin, our vision is clouded. But though we see in part as a mirror dimly, one day we will see completely. And you will be fully known as we are fully known. And so, God, we anticipate that day. Well, in the meantime, asking for 2020 spiritual vision here, that we might rightly see you, rightly worship you, and rightly serve you. God, forgive us of the foolishness that we do in the church, arguing with each other about each other's faults and not listening to your warnings. God, if there's even one person here that is straying from the path, would you bring them in? Use whatever circumstances in their lives they need to rock them. Let them not take one more step to the left or the right, but God, get them in the center of your will. Father, these are your people, so shepherd them in the best way you see fit. God, I pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion. I'm going to pass it to Lee.